Words that Jesus spoke in the upper room uh, there on the night before he went to the cross. And uh, these words are familiar to most of us, but let me, uh, let me share them this morning. John 14, 25 through 27, uh, words of Jesus. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Let's uh, ask God to bless us this morning. Lord, thank you for the fact that we have a friend uh, in the person of Jesus. And as we think about uh, what it means to have Jesus, our friend, Lord, I pray that as we look into this passage this morning, that you would open up our hearts and minds to your truth. Um, may the Spirit of God, who lives within us, uh, open up our hearts and minds to your truth this morning. May he be our teacher. And Lord, we thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to look into your word. Lord, I pray that this will not just be a uh, academic exercise this morning and gaining more knowledge, but that we will uh, look to put truth into practice and that our lives will be changed, uh, become more like you because we've been here this morning. Lord, we thank you for our missionary family at Community Bible Church. Thank you for Scott and April Keene, our missionaries of the month. Lord, thank you that we can partner with them and we uh, continue to pray your blessing upon Scott and April and their ministry with Ethnos 360, and uh, continue to bless them uh, down there in Dallas, uh, Dallas, Texas. Lord, open up our hearts and minds to your word now this morning. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been uh, looking at the book of John, <clears throat> and uh, we are in John chapter 14, and we're going to look at this this morning, the, the last Jesus' last words to his disciples. And so let me just give you a little bit of overview, a little bit of context so we can kind of get into the, the scene here. So you know that John 13 uh, and 14 were Jesus' words in the upper room. So this is Jesus. It's Thursday night. The very next day, he's going to be on a cross. He gathers his disciples together, and they're observing the Jewish Passover in that upper room. <clears throat> and when he gets to the third cup of the four cups of the Jewish Passover... He infuses a new meaning into this. He, he gives us the Lord's table. This, this do in remembrance of me, and in just a short time, he's going to be on the cross. Earlier, he washed the feet of the twelve disciples in that act of humility. And then he shares some news that really were, were traumatic news for all those disciples. He said, <clears throat> one of you is going to betray me. And, of course, it was Judas Iscariot, and the Scriptures tell us that Judas Iscariot leaves. Then he tells his disciples, I'm leaving, and you can't come with me. And that brought all sorts of trauma into their life. And then he tells Peter, you're going to deny that you even know me three times before the rooster crows. And so the disciples are reeling like taking three body blows right after another. And so in John 14, Jesus brings some comforting words. Let not your heart be troubled. I think it's a statement that Sean Hannity makes on Fox News. And uh, uh, 
I think the words of Jesus are more comforting than Sean's words, if you listen to Sean Hannity. Let not your heart be troubled. Then he gives us three truths that we can hang on to for troubled times. We looked at them last week. He talks about a person. You believe in God, believe also in me, Jesus said. And then he talks about a place. In my Father's house are many mansions. And then he talks about a promise. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. And we will be together forever. Jesus is trying to comfort those disciples. As we continue on in John chapter 14, and we're going to look at um, beginning in verse 15 through the end of the chapter, Jesus' final words to his disciples. Now, all the words of the Bible are significant. And if you have a red-letter edition Bible like mine, uh, 14, 15, 16, and 17 are all red letters. It's all the words of Jesus. Uh, all the words uh, are significant. All Scripture is profitable. But last words carry significance. This last summer... My dad and mom were in a place called Rest Haven, and my dad's health was declining, and we knew that it was coming down to the last few weeks and months. Um, there was a parade of family visits, outdoor visits with my dad. They weren't very long because his health was in, in decline. A, a long visit would be 15 or 20 minutes. And as we knew the time was getting shorter, in, in many of those visits, maybe all of those visits, whether it was his six children, his 18 grandchildren, even some of his great-grandchildren, we would be out there, he would be in a wheelchair, my mom would be there, and as it got time to leave, my mom would say, is there anything you want to tell your grandson? Is there anything you want to tell your son? And she would, she would prod him, and he would begin to think, and, and he would share some some significant words, which were his last words. And in John chapter 14, we have the last words of Jesus. And we're going to look this morning at three key truths that he gives to his disciples and he gives to us. What was on Jesus' mind in that uh, last 24 hours of his life? And so this morning, let's think about these three key truths that Jesus shared with the disciples and with us. And here's the first one. His first truth that he shares is that obedience is the demonstration of our, our love for God is expressed and demonstrated through obedience. Jesus says this over and over again in this uh, short uh, passage here in John chapter 15. So we ask the question, we know we're to, to love God, that's the greatest commandment, but the question is, how do you show your love to God? How do you demonstrate your love to God? And Jesus tells us very clearly, look at verse 15, if you love me, keep, obey my commands. Verse 21, the one who keeps my commands is the one who loves me. Verse 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. And then the converse truth in verse 24, the one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. So Jesus shares with his disciples the primary way to express love to God 
is by obeying what he's told us to do. First John chapter 2. Later on, John wrote some significant words in his last uh, letter. In First John chapter 2, we read these words from, again, from the pen of John. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So when we come to the book of 1 John, John lays out three like litmus tests of a true follower of Jesus. How do you know whether someone is a true follower of Jesus? Well, there's three tests. There's the doctrinal test. You have to know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. There is the uh, uh, social test. If you, if you know Christ as your Savior, you love other Christians. You express and show love to the, the, the family of God. And then there's the moral test. If you love me, if you're truly a follower of me, you will what? Obey my commands. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says I know him but doesn't do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in him. And so, here's the first key truth that, that Jesus shares, and he says, here's how we express, best express our love for God. God's love language, uh, Gary Chapman wrote the, the book, The Five Love Languages. We could say God's love language is obedience. <laughs> that's, that's the test of how, how we can show our love to him. And that's why this book becomes so important. Because how do we know what he wants us to do? How do we know his commands? Well, his commands and principles are in this book. And that's why we need to be a student of the book. Uh, Micah chapter 6, verse 8. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with God. Uh, there are all sorts of, of, of commands and principles. And so as we read God's word in our own a devotional time, uh, we need to ask, hey, is there a promise to claim? Is there a command to obey? Is there something in Scripture that God's saying, don't do this? Because I want to know how to please God and how to obey Him. And so John writes, dear children, let us not love with words and speech only, but with what? Actions and truth. We love God by obeying Him and following His commands. Well, there's a second key truth that Jesus shares with his disciples and with us in that upper room. And the second key truth is this, that Jesus' parting gift to his disciples and to us is the Holy Spirit. I don't know if they still do this, but back when I graduated from high school and college, back in the dark ages, um, at commencement, we had a class gift. Uh, I don't really know what they expected because, you know, high schoolers don't have any money and college seniors certainly don't have any money. But somehow we were to put together some money and at commencement uh, the class president would stand up and he'd say, well, here is our parting gift to the school and they would present a gift to the school. Well, Jesus here is presenting to you and me his parting gift And the parting gift that he gives us is a person. It's the person of the Holy Spirit. 
So let's look at the Holy Spirit for a little bit. And I want to look at the description of the gift from John chapter 14 here. And here's how Jesus describes it, beginning in verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you. And so the first truth here is that this gift comes from God the Father. Jesus says, I'm going to ask and pray that my Father will send you a gift. So the gift comes from the Father. And notice that the name or the description of the gift is, he will send you, my translation says, another advocate. Yours might say something different. It's, it's the Greek word parakaleo. Uh, the word is used five times in the New Testament, all by John. It, it, it's a unique word. It's a compound word, para, to come alongside of, kaleo, to call. It literally means to come alongside, to call alongside. The NIV translates it advocate. Other translations, uh, I will give you another helper. I will give you another counselor, some translations say. I will give you another This word is also translated encourager. And so, uh, here we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. It comes from the Father, and he's described as an advocate. He's described as one who comes alongside of us and, and gives us help and encouragement. Notice also in the description of the gift, he's called the Spirit of Truth. Uh, that's found in uh, three times, actually, in chapters 15 and, and 16, 14, 15, and 16. Uh, first of all, um, Jesus says in verse 16, I'll ask the Father, he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The Spirit of Truth. Uh, one of the characteristics of, of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is they are truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. God the Father in Deuteronomy is described as the Father of truth, and here the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of truth. And so in this day and age where nobody really knows what absolute truth is, and they, they, this age of relativism, we have a gift that if we know Christ is our Savior, that lives within us, that will help us discover and live out truth. He is called the Spirit of truth. John chapter 15, verse 26, later on, Jesus says, When the Advocate comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth. John chapter 16, verse 13. Again, the words of Jesus. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes. And so here is the description of His gift. He's given by the Holy Spirit, and He is our helper, our our advocate, our counselor, our encourager, and he speaks truth. And he wants to guide us to truth. Notice in John fourteen seventeen another part, portion of the description here. It says, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Future. Ah, so here's, here's another description of the Holy Spirit. He will indwell us. Now we know there's a distinction between the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, 
who would, would come along uh, upon people for special acts of service, but then he would leave. But when Jesus ascends to heaven, he says, I'm going to send someone who will be with you forever. In fact, he will live within you. The indwelling Holy Spirit. And he says, this will be happening in the future. And seven weeks after Jesus said this, it happened. It was the day of Pentecost and the, the believers were gathered there in Jerusalem and, and the Spirit of God came and, and now uh, there's a new relationship with the Holy Spirit. He's not only with us, but if you know Jesus as your Savior, He lives in you. Paul writes to the Corinthians, What? Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives within you? You don't belong to yourself for you've been bought with a price. And so... Uh, the description here is that He lives within us, and that's Jesus' parting gift to us. Now, let's look at not just the description, but the design of the gift. So, what what is the Holy Spirit designed to do? That if you know Christ as your Savior, lives within you. Let me read verse 16 from John 14 again. <clears throat> And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you. So the Holy Spirit lives within you, and he is to be our helper, our encourager. The one who, maybe when we're in difficulty, will come alongside and and help us and give us some aid. I think I mentioned last week that... A couple weeks ago, our oldest two grandsons were on spring break. And so Diane uh, planned a, a little something special each day for them. And, and I made some time to go on a couple of these outings. And um, one of the things that we um, did with Shane and Luke, second grader, first grader, is there's a skate park in Adrian. <laughs> and so we took them down to the skate park, and it's got all these you know ramps and half pipes and... Um, Shane had been to a skate park before. Luke, who's six, had never been before. And they had their little, um, they didn't have the skateboards. They had their little um, scooters. So we made sure, we made sure they had helmets and knee pads and elbow pads and all the protective gear. And so um, Shane is navigating pretty well, but Luke, uh, he gets on top of uh, one of these little ramps and he's about five feet off the ground and I'm way on the other side and he goes, Papa, Papa, come over here and help me. I'm like, okay, and what's the matter, Luke? And he's there on the edge, and like, I could tell he, he's, he's afraid, and he's looking down there, and he doesn't know if he can do it, so I helped, <clears throat> helped him navigate down, and it really didn't go very smoothly, because he was really, really nervous, but that scene played out about ten times. Every time he got up there, he was like, hey, come over here and help me. And that's a picture of what the Holy Spirit wants to do for us. That He is there to help us and to come alongside us and to aid us. He is there to help us live out the Christian life. And if we're trying to live out the Christian life on our, in our own strength without the power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to be not very successful in what God calls us to do and we're going to get discouraged. God, God has given us the Spirit of God, to help us uh, and have the power to live out the Christian life. 
And so how does he help us? Well, he helps us in our witness. Acts 1.8. Uh, the day of Pentecost, and, or before the day of Pentecost, actually, Jesus' ascension, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, and he says, but you will receive, what, power when the Holy Spirit comes, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the rest of the world. So, what's the Holy Spirit want to help us with? He wants to help us witness for Jesus. He wants us to help us be bold in our faith. He wants to help us in our worship. That's Ephesians chapter 5. and talking about um, <clears throat> keep on being filled with the Spirit, Paul writes to the Ephesian believers. And let me read it rather than uh, trying to quote it here. He says, <clears throat> Do not get drunk on wine. Be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Spe- singing and making music in your heart from the Lord. Oh, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we we have an attitude and a desire to to worship and to praise Him and to sing songs and to give thanks to Him. The Holy Spirit helps us with our witness. He helps us in our worship. He helps us with our words. That's in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. Paul writes, We who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we await eagerly what our adoption of sonship, the completion of our salvation. For in this hope we were saved. I want to go down to verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans, Paul says. Times in our life when, when we are in so much pain uh, emotionally, or we don't know how to pray, or we don't know what to pray for, and I don't know if you've ever been there, but I've been there several times in my life where I'm in so much pain I can't even speak, and it says the Spirit of God knows what's in our hearts, and he expresses that to God the Father. And so... Uh, We have this wonderful gift, um, the Advocate, the Spirit of Truth, and He's designed to come and help us to live the Christian life, to help us in our witness, to help us in our worship, to help us in our words. What else does the Holy Spirit do? John chapter 14, verse 26. Jesus is the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And so, uh, how else does the Holy Spirit help us? He's our teacher. He's our teacher. And so, um, yes, God has gifted the church with pastors and teachers and evangelists to help open up Scripture and explain, but uh, here John is saying, guess what? You have the same Holy Spirit within you. And so when we come to Scripture and want to have a time of Bible study and prayer, we need to pray and ask, Lord, would you, would you teach me today? Would your Spirit open up my mind and help me to understand this passage? And would you, would you reveal truth to me? Because that's the Spirit's job. He will remind you of everything I have said to you. 
Oh, the Holy Spirit comes to not only teach us, but remind us of truth. This has happened to me multitudes of times. Sometimes in counseling, sometimes in preaching. And, uh, you know, I, I pretty much still old-fashionedly write out, write out my sermons, uh, almost word for word. Um, and oftentimes when I'm preaching, there's, there's nothing in my notes, and all of a sudden uh, a verse or an application comes to my mind that I'm able to share, and I'm like, where did that come from? <laughs> that wasn't in my notes. Never even thought of that until that moment. Guess what? That's the Holy Spirit. I've had that happen in counseling with people, and they're they're sharing what's going on in their life and 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 their burdens. And all of a sudden, I'm listening and I'm praying. Lord, help me to help me to listen and help me to maybe say something that might be significant. And all of a sudden, light bulb goes on. Like, oh, this truth. Where does that come from? That's the Holy Spirit. He reminds us of all things. And so here is these uh, uh, three key truths. Our love for God is expressed through obedience, Jesus is saying. And then he talks about this parting gift that the disciples have and we have and, and the description and the design of the gift. But lastly, uh, key truth number three is God's prescription for fear is peace. He tells the disciples, God's prescription for fear. And boy, were they afraid that night. Their whole world had been turned upside down. Uh, you know, an insider, Judas Iscariot, uh, it's, it's going to turn on, on Jesus. Uh, Jesus is leaving them, and Peter's going to deny them, and their whole world's turned upside down. And so Jesus says in verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Now we all know that there's a, a healthy fear that we need to have in life. Fear and reverence for God, a fear and reverence for other things. But we also know that God doesn't want us to live in fear. In fact, 365 times someone's counted, in the Bible, it says, do not be afraid or fear not. And so Jesus has a gift for us, for his disciples and for us, and it is the gift of peace. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7, God hasn't given us a spirit of, of, of fear, the word's really timidity, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And so Jesus leaves us with this gift. And, and notice it is a gift. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And so Jesus has a, a second parting gift in one sense. It's just not the Holy Spirit, but it's also, he says, I have a gift for you, and the gift is peace. Now there are two aspects of that peace as we look at Scripture. Uh, the first aspect and the most important aspect is, is positional peace. This is peace with God. This is our salvation. This is our justification. This is that moment in time when we realize that we, we can't make it to heaven on our own. 
Jesus is the only way. He paid our sin debt. We turn from our sin, put our trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. And Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God. Before that, Paul says, we're enemies with God. And we're under the wrath of God, which someday will come if we don't establish peace with God. And so, first of all, the first peace that he wants to give us, and it's a gift, is to receive Jesus as Savior. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's that, that peace treaty with God. That's the first, first aspect of peace. And in just less than 24 hours, this is spoken Thursday night, by 9 o'clock the next day, Jesus is on the cross. And he's shedding his blood and, and paying that sin debt and, and, and crying out to Telestai, it is finished. He's purchasing our pathway to peace. What? Through his shed blood. And so that's the first gift that he wants to give to us. There's a second aspect of the peace that he wants to give to us. And it's not positional. <clears throat> it's a practical peace. It's the peace of God. It's the peace of God. This is our, our daily experience and our daily challenge and something that I probably struggle with on a daily, if not a weekly basis, if I let my mind begin to wander too far off from where it should be. Uh, we live in a world of stress, turmoil, you watch the news, division, another mass shooting yesterday. It happens so often, we, we almost get immune to it. COVID-19, why is it spiking in Michigan? And last night, my our oldest son texts me and says, hey, would you pray for a good friend of ours? And he gives me the name and he says, she's in the hospital in the ICU and she's fighting for her life. Anxiety. Stress. And all the things that's going on in the world. And Jesus, I want to give you peace. I have a gift for you. Not only peace with God, but I want you to experience on a daily basis, I want you to experience the peace of God. Isaiah chapter 26, verses 3 and 4. Isaiah writes, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord himself is the rock eternal. Oh, Isaiah tells us... Uh, 2,700 years ago. Hey, here's the key of peace. It's, it's focusing on God. It's focusing on Him. He's our rock eternal. And the pathway to peace is, this peace of God is quoted many, many times, and uh, we're familiar with this. It's just, we know it, it's hard to put into practice. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. Okay, Lord, what am I supposed to do with my worries and stress and anxiety and everything that's going on in the world? But in everything, in every situation, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
And then what's the promise? The peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts, that's your emotions, your minds, that's your thoughts, in Christ Jesus. And this is something that perhaps we need to do multiple times a day. When, when we, again, get off, get off focus. It's, it's like uh, that passage in Ephesians 5 that says, keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. And they asked the D.L. Moody once, like, well, why do you have to keep asking God to fill you with the Holy Spirit? And he says, because Christians leak. And then we need to repeat the process. And the same is true with, with this promise. Um, we need to ask God, um, and he will give us his peace. Notice back in John chapter 14 that Jesus says, when he gives this promise, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, I do not give to you as the world gives. So Jesus says, my peace is completely different from the world's peace. Where does the world try to find peace? Well, that peace that people seek from what the world has to offer is temporary. Oftentimes, they try to find it in a pill. Or they try to find it in a bottle. Or they try to find it in some other behavior that, that, that might help numb their pain. The only problem with that is that's just a temporary fix. And the pill wears off when the alcohol wears off, when uh, uh, the sleep wears off and you get up, you, you still have your problem. The peace that Jesus gives and wants to give us is eternal peace with God and he wants us to experience a permanent peace that comes from the Prince of Peace. And it's genuine and it's real and it's lasting and it's kind of like that I have a hurricane. You can be in the midst of all sorts of problems and stress. And like what's the eye, eye of the hurricane is that three or four miles that it's as calm as can be, even though everything is in turmoil all around. Well, lastly, I want you to see that uh, this peace is a victorious peace. It's a victorious peace. Uh, John 14, verse verse 28 Jesus says, you heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you love me, you will be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens. And Jesus is saying, I'm giving the disciples, I'm giving you a heads up. So that when it does happen, you will believe. Notice verse 30. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. Now, who is the, who's Jesus referring to? Jesus is the prince of peace, capital P, prince of peace. But there's somebody else called, temporarily, the prince of the world, and that is our enemy, Satan. But notice what Jesus says. The next phrase, but he has no hold over me. In this eternal battle between good and evil, between the prince of peace and the prince of this world, Jesus says, guess what? The prince of this world is coming, but he has no hold on me because I will be victorious. 
And three and a half days later, he conquered the grave. He overcame death. And Peter preaches about it in Acts chapter 2. And he talks about the resurrection. He says, because it is impossible for death to hold Jesus. And he conquered death. And he conquered the grave. And he conquered Satan. And it's a victorious peace. Well, Jesus gives us three key truths in his final words. Our love to God is expressed through obedience. His parting gift to us is the Holy Spirit who lives within us and the gift of peace. Just a couple application questions as we close and we're, we're done. What does this mean for us today? Here's, here's the first application thought. The question is this, am I living a life characterized by obedience to God's truth? So if my primary expression of me loving God is to obey Him, the question is, does that characterize my life? Does, does, is my desire, as Paul writes in, in one of his epistles, for we make it our goal to please Him? And so, is my life characterized by obedience to truth? Jesus says in Luke 6.46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do the things that I tell you to do? James 1 reminds us, Hey, don't just be hearers of the word because you'll deceive yourselves, but be doers of the word. Put it into practice. And so is my life characterized by obedience to the truth. Is there something I'm doing now that I need to stop doing? Is there something I'm not doing now, James 4.17, to the person that knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, it's sin? So there's sins of commission, but there's also sins of omission. In other words, we can sin by not doing anything because we know what we should do and we don't do it. Is there something that I'm not doing now that I need to be doing? Secondly, am I relying on my own strength, or am I relying on the power of the Holy Spirit to live my life? Christian life was never to be designed to live out in our own strength, in our own ability. I can do this. No, what the Spirit of God is the one who enables us, as Paul writes in Philippians 2, work out your own salvation, for it is God who works in you to will and to do his good pleasure. And so it's this partnership with with um, our lives and the Holy Spirit. And we need to rely on the, the Spirit of God, Zechariah 4, 6, not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. Lastly and thirdly is this. Is my life characterized by fear? Or am I experiencing God's peace? First of all, the peace with God. Have I come to the point in my life where I realize that the only way to heaven and salvation is Jesus? For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works. We can't work our way there. It's this gift of grace that we receive. We receive it through a prayer. 
It's so simple. People stumble on it. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't make it to heaven on my own. And I'm putting my faith and trust in you and you alone and your sacrifice on the cross to pay my sin debt. When we pray that prayer sincerely, we pass from death to life. Become a child of God. But secondly, the, the second aspect of peace and this this world of rapid change and fear and um, am I downloading the peace of God that passes all understanding as I don't uh, as I take my my cares casting all your care First Peter five seven casting all your cares all your worries upon Him for He cares for you. Remember last last summer, part of my, my teaching at Maranatha, I talked about a worry list. And I actually did this, and I probably need to do it again, get out a piece of paper, and just be transparent, honest. Uh, all right, I'm starting to jot down, what am, I, what am I anxious about? What am I stressed about? What am I worried about? It doesn't take long to fill paper. And then what do you do with that worry list? Here you go, God. Uh, I can't control this. I'm going to give it to you. And would you show me if I need to, to be proactive in, in some situations? Would you see if I need to just kind of step back in some situations? Would you give me wisdom? But Lord, I'm going to give this to you. And what happens? The peace of God comes into your heart and your mind and you enjoy uh, living the Christian life that God wants us to do. Well, Jesus' closing words uh, were significant. And he gave them to the disciples, and I trust that we will uh, take them to heart this morning as the Spirit of God speaks to us. Let's, let's pray this morning, shall we? Father, thank you that 2,000 years ago you spoke significant words, not just to those 11 disciples that were there, Judas had already left, but 2,000 years later you speak those words to us. Lord, would you, would you reveal to us um, uh, where we need to take a step of obedience to you? Lord, would, would your spirit show us if there's something we're doing that we need to stop? Would the spirit of God reveal that to us? And Lord, would you show us if there's something that we're not doing that we need to start doing? Lord, um, would you help us to uh, recognize the importance of the, the Spirit of God who lives within us. Lord, help us not to quench the Spirit or ignore the Spirit, but help us to realize that He indwells us and He wants to help us and He wants to help us in our witness. He wants to help us with our words. He wants to, to help us with our worship. And Lord, would you help us this morning in spite of all of the anxieties and worries that are on our worry list today, would you help us to uh, give them to you? And may we uh, experience today the peace of God that rests in the promises of God and in the sovereignty of God. And Lord, would you continue your work in our hearts and lives? And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.